0: This podcast is sponsored by Smokers Abbey. They've got everything you could want. Craft cigars, quality pipe tobacco, a huge liquor and draft beer selection. Everything you need to find rest for your soul. Smokers Abbey has two locations around the Nashville area. One right in the heart of East Nashville and the other over in Gallatin, Tennessee. So what are you waiting for? Head over to Smokers Abbey today. They're open late. Seatbelt and hold on where Nashville music scene comes alive. Right where you are, you're listening to Notable Nashville Podcast with your host, Groove Dr. J. Don't miss a beat.
1: Hey, it's John Chandler. Uh, this is a new song I wrote called Love While We're Living.
2: The hourglass is almost halfway gone. What I would give for more grains of sand. Life's so fleeting and fragile. Tick, tick, top second hand. Wanna spend Wanna spend. No All I know is love has no boundaries, I know that love has no end, when you're at your arms around me, tell me I'm the only one you want to spend life with, want to spend life with.
0: All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Notable Nashville Podcast. Today's guest is John Chandler. John, thanks for joining us today.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here.
0: So I love that first tune that you played, uh, Love While You're Living. You said you just wrote that?
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's funny. So the the main reason I moved to Nashville is to kind of like collaborate with other writers because usually when I sit down, it's just me at a piano. Um, So I don't really bounce ideas off people. So a lot of times I'll start a song and then leave it (laughs) for a few weeks and come back because then I have a fresh mind, like I'm a new person. Uh So yeah, I started writing that um, maybe like a month ago and then came back to it yesterday. So I just finished it today. Not sure why I chose to play that one, but I literally just finished it. But
0: well, I love it. Did you write it with anybody else? Or was that just solely you? No, that's just me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So I want to kind of get your backstory because you've kind of lived a lot of different places. You mentioned New York, um, Atlanta, um, where but now you call Nashville home. How long have you been here?
1: Uh, I've only been here about two and a half months, but I, i uh, sorry, two and a half years going on three now, I guess, now that I think about it, but I kind of moved here the worst time. I moved here February 29th of 2020. Um, I just gone through a breakup, decided to sell everything I owned were in my apartment and move here with like two suitcases and a keyboard. And literally as I'm pulling up to my house at Percy priest, the complex next to me was burning to the ground. Oh my God. It was the <laughs> saddest thing I've ever seen. Uh, a few nights later, that crazy tornado that destroyed East Nashville. Yeah. Then I got fired from the job at the record label that I moved here for. Uh, and then the next day after that is when they came on the TV and said, don't leave your house. And I didn't know a single person here, like not one person. Um, and I hadn't driven, you know, for years because I was in New York and didn't have a car. So it was, I was kind of just in my house and I was reading this book <laughs> on how you manifest things in your life. Uh. And I was like, Damn, I'm powerful. I just wandavisioned a global pandemic. <laughs> I thought it was me because so much, so much shit went wrong, like boom, boom, boom in a row. But uh, so yeah, so I, I feel like I've only been here about a year and a half. Wow. Because once COVID ended, um, kind of started meeting some people and that's a lot. Finally playing shows again and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: So did you, did you kind of, through that time, learn more about yourself or? How did you start meeting people in Nashville? Obviously, through the pandemic, you couldn't go out to bars or you couldn't go out to places to, to hang with people. Or how did you meet yeah. people? Was it like an online thing?
1: No. Well, see, it was kind of weird. Like, if you, had, if you had a group of people going to a restaurant or a bar, you were allowed to walk in with your masks on. And if you were with your group, y'all could take it off at the table. Oh, okay. But if you're by yourself, you have to sit in between like plexiglass. And you can't really walk up to a table with a mask on like, what's up? Like, you look like a <laughs> creep. So I didn't really meet people really. Um, I I reconnected with an old friend from high school actually, Uh but she's married and has a husband and teenage children in Franklin. So obviously our lifestyles are different, but, um, it was cool to reconnect with her. Yeah. I did. I I did learn a lot about myself. Honestly, I learned that I am crazier than I thought. Honestly, you know, that old saying, like an idle mind is the devil's playground. Yeah. 100% true. Um, it was pretty wild. (laughs) So, But you don't have any, like, well, I don't know. I don't want to get into your personal
0: stuff, but do you have any, like, mental uh, things that you realized about yourself that you have to, like, you know, take medicine for or nothing like that?
1: Oh, no. So I had never done therapy or medication or anything um, until I was 39. (laughs) I just turned 40. Oh, wow. Pause for applause. (laughs) Um, I know. Imagine my surprise. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I did learn stuff. Like, yeah, I was talking to my ex, and he was like, you have anger problems. And I was like, Oh, that pissed me off really bad. <laughs> um, that's a joke. <laughs> you're like, Oh shit, he's scary. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was like, okay, I am angry about some stuff. So that's why I, I kind of like started doing therapy and kind of, cause there's so much stuff that you have like in your mind or in your past that you kind of push back, not cause you're not facing it, but just cause you have to, to get uh, through life. Yeah. If you're like just dwelling on Things that you're upset about, you wouldn't be able to hold a job, hold a friend. You know what I'm saying? Oh, right, so right, it's, right. Like, it's like a def- it's actually a coping mechanism that's necessary. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of good to kind of to realize clean that. out the closets and kind of like dust the cobwebs a little bit.
0: Yeah. So I was doing some reading about kind of your your upbringing and your teen years. You were like a, a boy band member in what was the band called six piece piece, i I never heard of six piece but how did that come about like did you go to some audition or how did somebody enlist you into this band
1: no it was it was kind of random um i had some girlfriends of mine that went to a culture club concert and they were just in the front row like dancing and this guy approached them and was like hey i have this entertainment company called total entertainment and we do like Uh, mitzvahs, corporate events, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the reason it was called Total Entertainment because they would bring the videographer, the stage, the DJ. They literally were like the one-stop shop for the whole event. Uh Um, And so he was like, we always want dancers that kind of just are on the boxes and like getting the crowd, you know, hyped and stuff like that. They said, come to the audition. And if you have any friends, bring them as well. Um, So they brought me. I was 14 (laughs) at the time. um, And you had to be 18 to work there. So I lied and said I was 18. No one carded me which is wild. Like, this is how I look at 4D. Imagine me at 14. Like, I don't understand how <laughs> this happened, but yeah, yeah. I got hired, and, like, my first gig was um, in, in New Orleans, and this is when I was, I'm from Atlanta, so they tossed me the keys to, like, a 24-foot U-Haul filled with thousands of dollars worth of sound equipment and said, you're going to drive, and i just I never driven before, and I drove from Atlanta to New Orleans. So that's, yeah, so I started doing all these parties and stuff, and I was doing an event um, back in Atlanta at the Ritz-Carlton and that's how I met Maurice Starr. Um, he just kind of saw my shirt that said Total Entertainment and called me over. I didn't know who he was, honestly. Um, and then once we started talking, I realized that he was the guy that literally created New Kids on the Block and New Edition and countless other bands. He's like a mogul in the music industry, oh, yeah. especially then. This has been a while back. Uh, so I got his card and I called him and was trying to tell him that I, you know, wanted to be a singer like professionally. And he said, yeah, yeah, I, I thought you wanted to be a dancer. I wanted you for like these videos and this thing, that, that thing. And I said, like, well, no, I really want to be a singer. And he was like, okay, well, yeah, just, just get a demo tape together. That was back when you had to send a demo tape. But I kind of knew that was not going to work. Um, so I just started singing on the phone. And then when I was done, he was like, not bad for a white boy. <laughs> and he was like, how about this? He's like, I'll cancel my flight if you – because he was going to fly out the next day. That's why he was trying to get off the phone. Uh-huh. He said, I'll cancel my flight if you come through. Um so yeah, I went there the next day. We immediately got in the studio that day. And and, and what age was this that when you were uh, singing? I was I was sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. Yeah. So that was when I um, I met him at sixteen. But he had two projects at the time. He had a gospel group, and he had this uh, at the time it was untitled, just like a pop R and B type group. Uh-huh. Um, he put me in the gospel group because like that's that's kind of my background. I grew up in church. My parents were pastors. Um, it, even in my piano, you can probably hear I still have some of those like churchy chords it sounds oh, yeah. like that um so he put me in a gospel band and it was cool for a minute we did some cool stuff but um I just wasn't feeling it I was about to come out of the closet so I kind of was like I don't know if this is the right vibe I mean that's not the right vibe in gospel music today but it certainly wasn't you know the vibe then. then um so one day as I was leaving rehearsal at his house all these like really like good-looking young like trendy dudes are walking in and I was like who are, who are y'all? And this guy was like, I'm Romeo Christian. I was like, shut up. That's your name? Um, it R- wasn't. R- Romeo it, Christian? Romeo Christian. <laughs> Shout out to Romeo if you hear this. Um, but yeah, and I was like, are y'all in a, another band? He was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh no, I have to be in this band. Like, why am I in this little gospel group? All the all the uh, kids were like younger than me. Like I was the oldest at 16. Okay. Um. So I called Maurice and said that I, I didn't want to be in the gospel band. He told me, well then you're not going to be anything was like there's this guy that was in New Kids on the Block and he, he quit like right before they blew up. Don't be that person. Blah blah blah. And I was like, sorry that I'm. I guess I am done. And I left. And then a week later, he called and was like, I invented the magic number. The magic number is five because he started New Kids and every every other band that came out after him was either from Johnny Wright or Lou Pearlman. They were all under Maurice First. So oh, okay. that like that boy band formula of New Kids it trickled down to everything. Um, but he was like, I invented <laughs> the number five. Now I'm inventing the number six. I remember thinking like you're not inventing the number six, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's that's why we were called Six Piece because they added me um, into the mix. Uh, I wonder, was that kind of like the first Six Piece uh, boy band?
0: It, w- it was it all five up to up to that point?
1: Yeah, all five up to, up or like look? four or three, like LFO. I think it was three. It was like three, four, like but there was okay. never more than five. That's like a lot of people, um, and it was cool at first. So what you did with new kids was definitely different because. He was the writer, the producer, the, in charge of marketing, PR, manager. I mean, he, he wore every single hat because he wrote the songs. He owned the publishing. He owned the masters. He, I mean, he literally made all of the money. It's like if you have one power outlet in your house, you're only going to use that outlet. Uh-huh. But at this point, there was a bunch of outlets. There was a million, you know, places to go. So he kind of, for a long time, wanted to just do all that, like everything for us. And it didn't really work out. So then he started shopping us to different labels. Um, we, we met with, I mean, everybody, every record label in New York, LA. I mean, we we're talking to labels in Japan, like Virgin Japan. We almost moved there. Oh, wow. Cause he, I mean, he could get us in any door because of his past. Um, yeah. And then Babyface off, offered us a deal and I was so excited and wanting to do it. Uh, and Maurice said no, which looking back, I guess I could have said yes, but yeah. I was, I was like a young, you, didn't know. you know, I didn't know. Um, and then he called us one day very, very like sporadically and said that, Master P wanted to sign us because at um, I, I No Limit Records had always been like a rap label, but he was kind of changing it a little bit to make it, you know, a label that had different types of acts. Uh-huh. So he signed, you know, signed us. He signed this other girl, and his he signed his son, Lil Romeo. He kind of wanted us to kind of help Lil Romeo cross over to pop, and Lil Romeo help us to, you know, cross over to the urban kind of R and B market. But literally, when we find out or found out, we went straight to Houston, Texas. Got off the plane and when we got there, it was like late at night, and he was like, "Y'all get in the studio." Like that moment, it was like two a.m. Wow. So it was kind of wild, um, and yeah, things happened pretty fast after that.
0: So now, where were you based uh, for this for this group? I was based in
1: Atlanta the whole time. It I was in Atlanta. Okay. Which is so funny because I, you know, I lived in LA and New York the past, you know, eighteen years, and now Nashville, because they're like major music cities. But uh-huh. the only time that I've had a major record deal was in is in Atlanta, Atlanta, which is my hometown. But I feel like people always want to, like, get out of their hometown, even if their hometown's cool, because you want to—I don't know. I think it's good to experience different environments. For but. sure. Well, I kind of want to unpack
0: what you mentioned there. Your parents are pastors. You were about to come out as gay. Like, how does that How does that feel, being a gay artist, like being open with it, um, with your background, kind of like that?
1: I mean, now I, I don't really care, but back—I mean— I hate saying back then. I'm sounding like I'm a grandpa. And I hate that <laughs> no, no one I, can I, see I did, me right now. I but did not uh,
0: know you were 40 though, or almost 40. I uh, know I'm 40. Oh, you are 40. Yeah, I turned okay. 40 October
1: 26. Yeah, you you do not look 40. Thank you. Um, I don't know why. I've not treated my body kind, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it was weird because I was 16, I was I was a senior um, already at 16. I had just broken up with my girlfriend I've been with for two years. I didn't really have friends in my grades. All my friends were older and had already kind of graduated and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is why I went to a high school where you could double up on your, on your classes. So I was a senior at 16 and then I got, you know, at 16 I wasn't signed to a label, but I had a production deal and I was still doing that every day. So I just decided like, I don't know, I don't need this. And we were about to get signed. So I, I said the two worst things you can say to a school teacher and a pastor. I was like, I'm dropping out of high school and I'm gay. And it, did not go over well, like, at all. Oh, I bet. Um, And now my family and I are, like, extremely close. But, yeah, it was pretty hard. So I was out to my family and out to my friends, um, but not able to come out to the public. I remember one time we were being interviewed by Wendy Williams in New York, back when she was, like, a radio person. And they kept, you know, gearing all these questions towards me about what kind of girls do I like and da-da-da. And I had to, like, just sit there and make it up and lie and vamp. I mean, not make it up. I had been with girls, but, like, it was kind of stifling. People like would really like threaten me and stuff. Um, our, our first show was uh, actually a Showtime at the Apollo in New York. Um, this is right before we even signed our record deal. It was No Limit Distributed by Universal. So we were kind of talking to them, but we hadn't signed anything. Um, and yeah, we did a, uh, a show at the Apollo. We, we weren't like contestants on the show. We were special guests. We walked out. Halfway through, they started booing us, telling us to get off. So they closed the curtain. The host comes oh out and was like, no, 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 no. Like they're not contestants. They're the special guests. Cause every night they have a guest. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was like, this, this is Maurice Starr's stars, new band. He, he brought you new kids on the block and new edition. He works with boys and men and blah, blah, blah. So then they sat back down. They reopened the curtain. We walked back out. We were doing a cover of a Jackson five song. Uh, and then got a standing ovation. It was like a really cool moment. Um, so
0: from booed to standing ovation. Yeah, it was uh-huh. really
1: cool. Um, but then at the end of the show, the stage manager or stage somebody, I don't remember his title, took me aside and was like, hey, brother. He's like, you really stood out to me um, on stage. Like, you, you're a standout to me. You're, I think you're a star. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you so much. He said, but you got to lose the gay shit. And oh I was God. like, so taken back because I wasn't even out to anybody. I didn't yeah. say. Anything. And he was like, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told Luther Vandross when he walked in these doors. He's like, lose the gay shit and you'll be a star. Wow. And I was like so taken back. I like ran out the backstage door and hailed a cab. <laughs> this is before Uber. That's crazy. And just like it was like really wild. So that that's like how big of a deal it was back then. Like even if you weren't out, if they even like suspected, it was really wild. It took me a while um to come out. Um just just for that reason, not because I was scared. I mean, I came out at 16 as soon as I knew. I was ready to tell everybody, but the world wasn't ready. Yeah. For me to tell them, I guess.
0: But I I think it has come a long way. Um, you know, we're now in 2023 and i i really like all your music that you have out too like you kind of wrote a song or released a song in the beginning of 2022 changing and you said that you wrote it with your ex which i thought was kind of interesting um and, but then like yeah. like you <laughs> released it like right as you were breaking up or how did that how did that come about
1: no i we actually wrote it um back when i was still living in LA. like we were living together oh, okay. it, it is kind of funny like <laughs> that he helped me write a song about how everything's gonna change, and then he broke up with me. I was like, "Wait a minute, what was your what was your motivation for the song?" That's what's weird when you write a song with someone else. Like, you could be writing about the same kind of topic or subject matter, and there could be some symmetry in the song, but you could be thinking about two different things mm. as you're writing it. But it, I mean, I, I, I started the writing. I, I started writing the song. I think when I was leaving. Oh yeah, when I left New York after being in New York for eight years, I was moving back to LA. Um, because I'll back up. I lost my record deal at 21. We can, we can go back to what happened okay, during the deal. Rewind. But at 21, we, we lost our record deal and I kind of panicked because I didn't really have a backup plan. Like I, I didn't know you lost a record deal. I, you couldn't tell me anything. I was like, I have a deal. You know, we'd been on Nickelodeon, Disney channel, open friends, Sync. like we'd done all this stuff. So I, I just thought it was going to work out for us. But right when digital streaming happened, every label panicked because the thought of music being free was just unheard of. Uh-huh. Um, so, every roster at every label, like they looked, if you weren't like immediately bringing in cash flow, you were dropped. Like, I have so many friends that were just like top of the pecking order at their label and were just dropped if they weren't making money because they just lost so much. But so when that happened at 21, I kind of panicked because I was still living at my parents at 21 because I was never at home. Right. I was always touring or doing stuff. So, I wasn't going to move out of my parents until I like bought a place. So, right before I turned 21, I decided to move to LA. So, I moved, um, God, there, was there for eight years. So then after that, moved to New York because all my friends in LA started blowing up. And I was just kind of like, oh, my God, I'm surrounding myself by people that are blowing up on a level that is so much further than me. And I think I felt a little bit in- entitled because I had been a major label artist. Um, so LA was first, then New York? Yeah, LA for eight years. And then I decided I needed to, like, reinvent myself a little bit. So I moved to New York because there's such a cool live music scene in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, and that's that's what it was. Like, I I kind of, like humbled myself and started over because no one gives a crap about you in New York. They just don't. So it was kind of like, it was kind of enlightening, but also I enjoyed it being anonymous. Um, So I got a job actually at a music venue and I I worked there for several years, bartending and stuff until I finally got booked there as an opening act. And then it was at City Winery. So then I started playing City Wineries. So now I've like played New York. I've headlined Atlanta several times. Um, So I love that venue because I, you know, worked there for four years before ever getting booked. But it kind, of, it kind of brought me back to the reason I started doing music, which is because I just, I like music. Yeah. Um, so I let go of any you know, expectation of, especially that child star expectation is different. Like when you think you're going to be a child star, it doesn't work out. It hurts because a child is so much more, they don't really have a perspective on life. So it was hard for me to like get, let go of that. But once I did, I just started writing music again um, that I related to. Because yeah. in the band, obviously, we were writing for like this very urban R&B pop sound. So they would give us a topic and it was like, write a song, you know, about food, but you're really talking about a girl. So it's called like recipe, but all the, all the recipe ingredients are like things about her. <laughs> they would give us a specific thing and I would yes. write it and it it right. would sound good, but it would, like, it wasn't like something that I sat down at the piano and like felt, you know, was a poignant thing to me. Uh-huh. So yeah, so when I was p- started playing the little like you know, venues and stuff in New York, it kind of got me back to the place that I was at, you know, when I first started doing music that I just, I just love it and enjoy it. So um, was
0: it when you got dropped from the label, that's when you kind of started passionately writing your own stuff again?
1: Um, or was yeah. it before that? Or no, maybe, no, no. I mean, I, I always would kind of like write just like in my room and stuff, and I, I wasn't really sharing it. So yeah, after that is when I, you know, it's funny, the whole time I was in LA for those eight years, I didn't do one show in eight years. Wow. Yeah. Um, I just kept like thinking I was going to network and audition for like reality shows Because the idea of an indie artist was so foreign to me. Because, like, my idea of an indie artist was someone that has a minivan and they just drive city to city and plays, you know, in busks. That's what I thought an indie artist was because that's what it used to be. The idea of, you know, there wasn't, like, Instagram and Spotify and, you know, Twitter, YouTube. That wasn't, like, a thing. Like YouTube existed, but it wasn't what it was now. Uh So it took me a while to subscribe to that idea that I, I didn't have to wait for anybody or wait for another mogul so it was kind of interesting um like looking back it's interesting at the time it sucked but looking back it was like that was necessary because if i didn't let go of that stuff i i I probably would be an asshole or not be alive (laughs) like had i gone to la and then just immediately got signed again oh yeah i think my ego would be banana boats i'd probably just be a total asshole probably on drugs you know what i'm saying because that's i don't know that ego was definitely necessary to kind of crucify a bit yeah i understand that (laughs) yeah well, I'm
0: really glad that you're here in Nashville. I've seen you play a lot of venues around here too. Um, you're playing the the Rainbow Stage tomorrow. At, yeah. Well, maybe today. I'm not sure when this is going to come out. Probably uh, Friday. <laughs> but yeah. So uh, friends of mine, uh, Jamie and Emily, kind
1: of started that Rainbow uh, thing, and you played the Pride Festival multiple yeah.
0: times, which was pretty cool.
1: They're they're who booked me at Nashville Pride. I think I'm playing again this year. Yeah, they were great. I um I just randomly met them actually at the Lipstick Lounge. Oh, okay. They just. Said, hey, what are you doing? Because I was by myself. They said, You want to come to our table? Yeah. Um, they've been great. They've introduced me to a lot of people and we've become good friends. Um, I'm kind of like that too. I like I like to connect people. So I appreciate when people do that for me because I'm always trying to connect this person with that person. It makes me happy when I see two people connect that I connected and then they, you know, go on to do stuff together. But for sure. yeah. Yeah, I, I'm still trying to acclimate to Nashville a little bit. It's definitely people are more willing, that like they're a little bit nicer here than LA, but I will say. Because it is smaller, it's kind of a small, a small city with a big industry. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit harder to get in to those clicks and those circles and those rooms because people have like their close knit, you know, family, oh yeah, type connections. And like, even if they like you, want to work with you, why would they want to split the publishing or the songwriting or royalties, and you know, a fourth way or fifth way when they already have their group? Right. So it's been a slow a process, but it's starting to pick up now. Where I'm. It's honestly just about the more you go out in Nashville, you just have. To, I mean, I met you just you know out and about. Yeah. So I will try to go to as many shows and you know riders rounds and things like that because you kind of just have to put yourself out there. Um, and so it's starting to slowly kind of pick up a bit, which I'm excited about. Awesome, awesome.
0: Well, uh, I really appreciate you stopping by the studio. You want to plug where we can find like your music and everything, and maybe close us out with a, another live song.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. I all my music is on like any digital platform uh Spotify, Apple, um yeah, any any platform like that, you can find me on Instagram, John Chandler official. Uh there's links to all my stuff. All I right, know I'm sweet. supposed to be on TikTok, but I have one TikTok video and it's me pumping gas. <laughs> and I yeah. only did it cuz someone was like just just test the algorithm. So <laughs> I pumped gas and I got 600 views. Didn't even promote it. So I definitely need to get better about that, but I I hate it. You're Honestly, not I not hate guy. I really hate social media. Like if I didn't have to, I wouldn't even be yeah. on any of it. But I get it. It it is a good way to connect, especially during COVID. It was good to connect. So I'm trying to like get with the times a bit, but yeah. So, um, you mentioned the song that I released changing. So the first song I released when I came to Nashville was missing. Um, then I released changing. Um, the next song I'm going to do is called running. It's because I have an EP coming out called running, missing, changing, growing. It's not because I always name my songs. I N G, uh, it's part of an EP. It's like a concept, you know, uh, EP called running, missing, changing, growing, just the names of the songs. And it kind of just chronicles my life over the past years Do since you? since being an indie artist, yeah. Do
0: you have a release date for that yet, or are you just kind of planning on when you're going to put it out?
1: I don't, as soon as it's
0: done. No, as soon as it's I know, done. it's
1: only four songs, but when you're an indie artist, that takes a while. Oh, no, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, cool, man. Um, I'm I'm excited to hear this uh, live rendition. Awesome. Thanks for having me.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: trouble my parents were pissed when they found my cigarettes every day I got older angrier and bolder I kept running
0: For tuning into notable nashville podcast broadcast from acme radio live right in the heart of downtown nashville check us out on the socials instagram facebook twitter and if you like it you can also support this podcast on anchor by clicking the link in the platform that you are listening on hey until next time thanks for listening to notable nashville podcast